Open your Bible, please. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we'll stand in a moment and read two or three verses of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is our stewardship month here at the church. We do this every year. We've done it now for over 40 years. And uh, we've kind of fallen into a tradition, but it's a way that really works well for us. And every year we have at the conclusion of the month what we call the chest of Joash. We take a passage from the Old Testament and sort of use it as the model for what we do. And we mail to you a copy of a stewardship card. How many of you received one of these in the mail this week? Hold up your hand. Did everybody get one? If you're a member of the church, you got one. Now, if you're not a member or for some reason you didn't get one, I'm sure we have them out there. Ryan, can they pick up one? Uh, wherever Ryan took off on me here. But um, I'm sure there's some out there. And if not, you come and ask me. I'll get you one copy of this, okay? And what it says is your faith and your money. Stewardship 2020 Commitment Sunday. Yes, realizing that in God we trust and in recognition of His ownership, in response to my love for Christ and obedience to Scripture... And with the Lord's help, I will do my best to invest a minimum of one-tenth or a tithe of my income in God's work through the Florence Baptist Temple. My weekly tithe is blank, my weekly building fund offering blank, and that's it. There's no signature on it because we're not trying to collect this from people. The commitment is to the Lord. It's not to the church or to the pastor or to somebody here. It's an anonymous commitment, but you need a commitment. And we don't have a pledge system here. Nobody's ever going to come and visit you and, to, and uh, done you and say you're behind in your commitment or anything like that. It's totally voluntary. We don't have bingo. We don't have rummage sales. We don't have pledges. We just get people to make a commitment once a year, bring their tithe, their offering drop it in the offering plate, and uh, then we pass out a budget next Sunday night. We'll vote uh, as a church for the budget. The budget's about the same as it was this year, and the budget for the coming year will be voted on and accepted, and that gives, of course, our church administrator, myself, the finance committee, the uh, 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 guide to spend the money throughout the year. And then every month, I give you a finance report. And then at the end of the year, the CPA comes and audits the books of the church. And that's given us a lot of integrity and credibility as a ministry. And uh, God has so wonderfully blessed us. Uh, I, can't, I can't believe how the Lord blesses us. But on the other hand, you always have people who've come in new. They've not been through a stewardship. And so I need to give them some instruction today from the Bible. And so if you came today and you go away and say, the only thing they ever talk about there is money, be careful. That's just one Sunday out of 52, okay? So come back one more time and, well, yeah, come back one more time and and, and make sure. But money is not all we talk about, but without apology, money is what I talk about today, okay? So you have your Bible open? 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, 
Stand to your feet with me, please. And this is God's Word just as much as is John 3.16, isn't it? So let's see what God says about our money. Let me give you a little background. The church at Jerusalem, the original church, the one that was founded by the Lord Jesus Christ with the 12 apostles, persecution had come to Jerusalem. That church had grown into a church of thousands. But an extreme form of persecution had come to Jerusalem, and the people were being persecuted. In fact, one of their pastors had already been killed, beheaded by Herod. So these people were going through the greatest trial you could imagine because they were Christians. Persecution in Jerusalem. Paul the traveling missionary, had influence with all these churches. He had written to the churches over in Macedonia, and he said, I want to raise an offering, and I want to raise an offering for the people who are over in Jerusalem. They're going through a terrible persecution. Please give to the offering. And the churches in Macedonia, Macedonia is the southern province of Greece, so the Greek church, raised a big offering. And Paul said the thing about the Greeks is they were very, very poor. They were not your wealthy church. They were the poorest church. But they raised a great offering because they had the right attitude about money and their love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this encouraged the Apostle Paul. And what does he do? He writes now in his Corinthian letter, he writes and says, I want you people at Corinth, you're wealthy people. You have the means to give. I want you to raise a big offering because there's still a huge need over there in Jerusalem. And so we learn the principles of biblical giving when we study 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. And this is not Bill Monroe's opinion. I'm going to quote to you so much Scripture today, you're going to gorge on the Scripture. So you're hearing from what God says, and you take it up with Him then is all I can say to you because, you know, people are very critical today of churches. All they want is your money. Well, that's not true. That's not what we talk about except very, very rarely. But we couldn't do anything without money. I go to the grocery store, and the first thing they want is my money. I've never pulled up to the gas station. They said, this tank is on us, brother. They want my money, don't they? My wife went and had a little minor surgery at the hospital. Major for her, minor for me. And uh, she went there, and before we even had the surgery, we went in this little cubicle, and they asked us all these questions. And then, what are you going to pay for this with? I got the impression we wouldn't get the surgery if we weren't going to pay. I thought... This is a compassionate organization, isn't it? Well, we got home. The next day, the guy calls us on the phone, wanting money. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? What if we did that? You join the church, and the next day I call you. I want some money. You know, so uh, let's, let's, let's put the church on even ground with everybody else. What do you say, huh? And we've got to have the money, but we want to do the money God's way, don't we? Why are y'all standing for the whole message today? <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 8, 
verse 7, therefore, as you abound, as you excel in everything, in your faith, in your utterance, your ability to communicate the gospel, in your knowledge, and in all the diligence that you have, and in your love to us, see that you abound or excel in this grace, referring to giving, See that you abound in this grace also, that you excel in it. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to, notice this phrase, to prove the sincerity of your love. Giving is one of the greatest single proofs of the sincerity that you have in your heart as a Christian. You can say, I love the Lord, but the evidence for it, among others, is giving, of course. In verse 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was dead, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. Thank you. You may be seated. I want you to notice with me today, number one, the frequency with which the Bible mentions money. The frequency with which the Bible mentions money, money or possessions or wealth or something like that, material gain, is on almost every page of the Bible. In Bible times, they didn't have banks. They didn't have a stock market. They didn't have insurance companies. All that was not very common in Bible days. What they did is they had their money in gold silver, gold coins and gold silver. They had their money in other forms of what they called treasure. You'll find that 99 times mentioned the word treasure. They had their money in land. They had their money in houses. They had, interestingly, one of the ways they stored wealth was clothing. And so you read about clothing sometimes in the light of it being very, very valuable because all the clothing was handmade for the most part, and it was lavishly embroidered and decorated. And, and so a garment, because it, the, they wore robes, then a garment would fit a lot of different sizes. So a garment would be very, very expensive. You could sell it. You could barter it. You could trade it. And a garment would be passed down from one generation to the other because they were very, very expensive in those days. And when you look at your Bible, you see this idea of gold, silver, precious stones, land, houses, garments, other stores of wealth. You find it everywhere. You find money used 140 times, treasure 99 times. Riches, 98 times. Listen to this. Gold and silver, money in those days, mentioned in your Bible 737 times. That's every other page or more in the Standard Bible. Wealth is mentioned 27 times. I added those up. That means there are 1,141 times in the Scripture that money or its equivalent is mentioned. Jesus taught 38 parables. 
Of the 38 parables, 15 of those parables deal with money or its equivalent, some form of possessions or material commodity. One in every six verses, think of that. One in every six verses in the gospel refers to money, to property, or to possessions of some kind. Listen to this one. The words offering or offerings, plural, you look up those words, offering or offerings, and they appear 989 times in your Bible. You can hardly read a page of the Bible, but what there's going to be of a, a mention of offering or offerings or money or coin or gold or silver or houses or lands, it's all through the Bible. Now, why is that? Because Christianity is a practical religion. It's not just a mystical, esoterical, up-in-the-clouds type thing. Christianity deals with life right here as we live it. Christianity deals with the ordinary, commonplace things of this world and this life. And therefore, it has to deal with money because money is a major, major concern of life. Is there anybody here today that you're not concerned about money? And don't raise your hand because we wouldn't believe you. <laughs> Every one of us have to be concerned about money. It's one of the core issues of life. We've got to have money to be able to live in the culture that we live in. So Christianity being practical, it has to address the very things that we live by and live on on a day-by-day -day basis. And the Bible throughout then with all these hundreds and hundreds of mentions of money, then the Bible gives us some clear guidelines about the use of money. A very famous author, Henry Taylor, wrote a book about the Christian faith, and he called it Notes for Life, Notes for Life. It was a very practical thing which he took the ordinary things of life, as I've been discussing, and he talked about them from Scripture. And here's what he said about money. Don't miss hearing this today, folks. If you know how a man deals with money, how he gets it, spends it, keeps it, gives it, you know most everything of importance about that man. End of quote. May I say that again? If you know how a man deals with money, how he gets it, spends it, keeps it, gives it, you know most everything of importance about that man. Through the years, I've used the illustration over and over. If you gave me your checkbook stub, or today I guess you would say your, uh, if you would give me your debit card or credit card statement, if I had that, the record of your income and expenditures, and if I had your schedule of events, a calendar or whatever you want to call it, I would know just about everything about you. There's very little I wouldn't know. You could tell me other things, but the proof is in the pudding 
And the reality is the way we handle money and the way we handle time is the acid test of our characters and who we are. Money itself, of course, is neutral. Money is not good. Money is not bad. It's not a positive or a negative. It's a commodity, if you will. But the use of it is what makes money good or bad. So I can take this $10 bill out of my pocket, and I can buy lottery tickets with it. Or I can take that $10 out of my pocket, and I can uh, go buy food to eat today to sustain me. It is, this is not good or bad. It's how it's used that makes it good or makes it bad. And the ability to make money and to handle money is even a God-given gift. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18. If you want to know the Scripture here, and I'm going to give you a lot of Scriptures, so you might want to write these down, then you'd have a little record that you could uh, go back and study them when you're thinking about money. In Deuteronomy 8 and 18, it says, the power to get wealth, the power to get wealth, the ability to earn, comes from God. Did you know that? Have you ever noticed people, they just have the Midas touch, that they just, whatever they do, they can turn it in, and they, they seem to have a prosperous hand. And it seems like other people, all they do, they struggle all their life with their finances. Well, the Bible very clearly says that the ability to earn money is a God-given gift. Now, He might give you that gift greater than you have it if you uh, would meet some of His other conditions in your life. Thirdly, the Bible says that money is to be earned by honest labor. From the very beginning of history, the Scripture says that we're to earn our bread by the sweat of our face. In other words, we're to work. Proverbs 13 and 4 condemns laziness. And you see this throughout the Bible over and over. I, I had to cut out a bunch of references. I don't have time for them. But as I was studying yesterday... I saw reference after reference about people who are lazy, or the Bible calls them sluggards. Proverbs 13 and 4, the soul of the lazy desires and has nothing. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, if anybody will not work, neither should he eat. Boy, that sounds harsh to 2,020 ears. You know what God's Word is saying? If a person is too lazy to eat or, or to work, then it's up to him. He can go hungry. That the world doesn't owe you a living. One of the worst things that ever happened to our culture in the United States, in my opinion, is that now we've got all these government programs that allow people to be absolutely indolent, to do nothing, and still draw a living wage. It just destroys the character of people. It destroys the character of a society. If a man won't work, neither should he eat. The Bible teaches us that money should not be earned in any kind of sinful or destructive activity. Money should not be earned from prostitution or from gambling 
or from selling alcohol. Look at the devastation that it does. Now, people don't like me to say that, but you can't, re- you can't erase out of your Bible. The book of Habakkuk says, don't put the bottle to your brother's lips. Don't put the bottle. Don't make your living. Look at what alcohol has done to people today, the devastation that it's brought into their lives and into their families. So we shouldn't earn our money from deceptive or dishonest schemes or immoral schemes or things that tear down people's lives. Drug dealing is not not an option for us, no matter how profitable it is, is it? The Bible warns against debt. It says, if you become a debtor, you become a servant, a slave, literally, to the one to whom you owe the money. Now, let me straighten that out because I have people come to me often and say, well, you mean you can't borrow money at all? No, the Bible doesn't say that. Let me define debt for you. Let's say I buy a home and I sign a contract to finance my home with the, with the bank or the mortgage company. Well, that says that on the first of the month, I'm to pay so many dollars to them. And that is not debt in the sense the Bible is talking about it. I have a contractual agreement with the bank. And if I pay my mortgage on time, then I am fulfilling the contract. I'm not a debtor in the Bible use and sense of the word. Now, if I bought too big a house and I can't make my payment and I'm behind on my payment two or three months, then I have violated the principle here that the Bible is, is talking about. So I'm not a debtor until I pass the deadline. There's nothing wrong with credit. It's the excessive use of the credit. Getting in debt to where you have no ability to pay and to pay on time. And believe me, there's nothing in the world will ruin your testimony more than that. I determined when I came to Florence and I I started the church here 50 years ago now. Boy, it sounds like a long time, doesn't it? And so anyhow, the church, I planted the church here. And one of the convictions I had in my heart is I have got to pay my bills on time. Because in a town this size, the first time I don't pay my bill on time, somebody's going to tell their neighbor who's going to tell their neighbor who's going to tell their neighbor, and you know what? It's going to go through the whole town. After a while, people say, well, that guy's not a, he's not creditable. He's a crook. He won't pay his bills. And so it was a deep conviction of mine from day one, I better pay my bills and I better pay them on time. And if I'm not sure I can do that, I just better not buy that until I can afford to do it. Because there's nothing that would destroy a preacher's credibility more quickly than uh, not paying his bills. But ladies and gentlemen, it's not only applicable to preachers, it's applicable to everybody here. It is permissible to say amen in this church. Amen? Don't buy it if you can't pay for it on time now. That's, that's, that's God's Word. The Bible says we should give to those in need. We should give to those in need. I don't like to use illustrations that make me look good. 
But I'm going to give one today. It makes me look a little bit good. Because it's happened to me this week, and I've got to preach out of my life. And so I'm filling up my gas tank at the gas station on Second Loop Road. A woman comes up in a gray van, an elderly woman. She parks the van, almost blocked me in, not quite. I, could, I was kind of beginning to weasel my way out of that. And uh, she jumped out of her van and came over and knocked on my door, on my window. I'd never seen her before, obviously. She knocked on the window and she said, um, I rolled it down. She said, I wonder if you could help me, mister. I've got to go to Columbia. I had a relative in the hospital. My gas tank is down to below a quarter, and I've got to get home, and I don't have but a couple, three dollars. Would you help me? Well, I reached in my pocket because I had been preparing a sermon on giving. And over and over, I had read something about giving to the poor. You ever read those verses? Hmm? Y'all talk to me. Come on. You're hung up today. You won't loosen up. And so the, I said to the woman, well, I got $17. I knew I had that because I count my money every morning because Norma has eyes on my money. And so... So I had my $17, and it had not been tampered with throughout the evening. And I pulled off the five, and I pulled off two ones, and I handed it to the woman. And I did that because I'd read four or five times. Um, one of the verses says, give to him that asketh thee. You ever read that verse? Well, she asked me. I've got a lot more respect for the woman who comes up and taps on my window and says, Sir, I am in a bad time. Would you help me a little bit? I like that better than a guy who's sitting all day long holding up his sign half asleep. And so I said, Yes, ma'am, I'll give you $7 of the money that I have. That's not a big thing. I, you know, I guess if you get a reward for a glass of water, you might get one for $7. That's not the point. The point is, as the Bible teaches, we've got to have a heart for needy people. And because of the abuses of the welfare system in America, I'm afraid we're losing our compassion for, for poor people. And, but, and everybody is not beating the system. Everybody's not gaming the system. There are people that that they so desperately just need somebody to show them a little kindness and a little grace. And $7 sure is not going to put me in the poorhouse. And so when you get those opportunities, remember God is testing you. He's testing your generosity. Now, the principle in the Bible that's the big one is that we're to learn to live below our means. Boy, that's anti-American almost, isn't it? We're to learn to live below our means. What does that mean? Well, the Bible teaches us over and over throughout the principle of moderation. The principle is self-control. The principle is that even though I might be able to squeeze it out, that I ought to live a little bit below the squeeze-it-out level. 
that I ought to not go right to the limit of everything because if anything happens, and it will in time, then I ought to be in, have a little safety net there to live below my means. I think they call that a non-consumptive lifestyle. A consumptive lifestyle is when you buy everything you can think of and you charge it all and, and, and you're just living way beyond your means. You're consuming every penny of your money. The Bible teaches us a non-consumptive lifestyle. In fact, I think the Bible teaches us to pay the Lord first, His tithe. And then I think the Bible teaches by strong inference, if not direct principle, that you ought to pay yourself next. And that whatever, I don't care even if you, you don't have to be wealthy, but you can just take a little bit of money and put it back and live just a little tad below your, you know, being right on the edge all the time. Because the Bible teaches us the wisdom of saving. Proverbs chapter 6, go to the ant, thou sluggard. Why did he want us to go to the ant? Because the ant saves up during the summer for the time in the winter when there's not going to be anything. And the Bible over and over teaches the principle of live a little bit, don't consume everything. Learn some self-control, some moderation, one of the fruit of the Spirit. In the Bible, in the Proverbs in 21 and 20, it says, There is treasure in the dwelling of the wise. There is treasure in the house, the dwelling of the wise. But a foolish man spendeth it all up. And so the Bible is very, very clear on the wisdom of saving and investing. Living moderately, living with self-control, living below our means. The Bible contains many, many warnings about money. It warns against greed or what the ancients called avarice. And they said this is one of the seven deadly sins because it is. Greed is like a cancer. Greed is the excessive desire for more wealth or material gain than you need. At what point do you have enough? Then there's covetousness. The Bible over and over describes covetousness. And here's a powerful point about covetousness. Covetousness is listed with murder, with lying, with stealing, with adultery. Think about the Ten Commandments. What do the Ten Commandments deal with? Lying, stealing, murder, adultery. And then the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet. It puts it in there, right in there with that same list. Very, very powerfully. Now, in the Bible days, they didn't have the advertising that we have. And so everywhere we go, we're inundated with ads trying to get us to buy stuff. Everywhere you look, they're trying to whet our appetite and feed the desire for us to buy more, buy more, to never stop. Covetousness, to, to try to get things, a, to create an extreme desire for the possession of something. 
You get, flip across your TV channels one night. There's a whole channel that, don't do, that doesn't do anything now but sell watches. And listen to them talk about that watch. Oh, this is so beautiful. This is gold. You can know it's gold, but they just grab it. This feels so good when you rub your hand around this watch. And this watch is finely milled. It was made by one of the finest craftsmen in all of Switzerland. And they go on and on and on. And after a while, you're saying, I've got to have that watch. Their whole modus operandi is to get you to buy something that you never even thought of before you saw that ad. Man, watch them talk about makeup. That gal talks about makeup on that shopping channel. I promise you, I'm ready to buy me some makeup. <laughs> she makes it sound like it is life-transforming. You know, there's salvation and then there's makeup. And you just watch that for a few minutes and vitamins and how it'll make you look 30 years younger and weight loss and exercise machines. And it goes on and on and on. And every one of them are designed to separate you from your money. I don't think they had, the Apostle Paul didn't have to put up with all that, did he? Covetousness, boy, that's a big one. Go to Colossians chapter 3 in your Bible. Colossians 3 and 5 and I want to show you because this is something passed over, and we don't even think of it as being important. The Apostle Paul talks about covetousness a lot here. And a Catholic priest wrote in a periodical, I've used this before and I've told you about, he said he had heard 50,000 people come in and confess their sins, and not one of them had ever confessed covetousness. And yet it might be the most, most prominent sin that uh, plagues us today. Colossians 3 and 5, I want to show you something about covetousness. Mortify, put to death your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, that's lust, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness. It is the worship of an idol. It is the worship of things, material possessions. Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, Jesus said, A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things that he possesses. Your life is not defined by what you own or what you can buy. That is not a definition of your character. The Bible warns against waste. John 6, Jesus fed the 5,000, and then he said, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. I grew up in a different generation. I'm aware of that. But my dad would just have a fit if we left something on our plate. He said, if you take it, you eat it. And they always warn me about the starving millions of Asia. And I could never figure out how if I ate that, that would help that Chinese guy who was hungry. <laughs> but it didn't bother my dad one lick. Tell you that, it didn't bother him. Don't you leave the table, you eat that. But I thank God for that now because he taught me not to waste. He taught me to take that tube of toothpaste and squeeze it all the way down and get that one more little blob out of the front of it. 
And I'm glad he taught me that. Ben Franklin said, waste not and want not. And you do your children a great service when you teach them, don't waste anything. Don't waste anything. The Bible teaches against indulgence, which is an excessive love of luxury and ease. Write this verse down, Ezekiel 16.49. Ezekiel 16.49. It talks about the sin of Sodom. The sin of Sodom. What was the sins of Sodom? Pride. Excess food. You wouldn't think of that, but God's Word reveals that. An abundance of idleness. Too much free time. And stingy with the poor and the needy. The sins of Sodom. Excess food, arrogance, too much free time, and a stinginess with the poor. The Bible talks about the love of money as being a sin. It's called the root of all evils, and it leads, of course, to all kinds of sin. And one of the strongest of all is Matthew 6 and 34, where Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Circle that in your Bible, mammon. You who, mammon was actually an ancient idol. It was the idol of wealth and riches. People prayed to mammon and sacrificed to mammon so that they could have money and riches. And Jesus said, there's a dichotomy here. You can't serve money, mammon, wealth. You can't be the servant of that and serve me. So what the Bible is teaching is that money is a wonderful servant and a horrible master. Money is a wonderful servant, a blessed servant, but a horrible master. The poet said, dug from the mountainside, washed in the glen, servant am I or master of men? Steal me, I curse you. Earn me, I bless you. Grasp me, me and hoard me, a fiend shall possess you. Lie for me, die for me, covet me, take me, angel or devil. I'm just what you make me, money. Right attitudes towards money, wrong attitudes towards money, and the Bible's full of that as I've shown you. Now, let me give you one more thought, and that, that is your faith in your money. And so, the theme this year on our card is your faith in your money. I've been preaching about faith every, every service almost up until now in the new year. And I think God must be leading a lot of us to do it. My wife opened the door to my study today and said, I was watching Charles Stanley after you were on today, and He's preaching on faith. So I guess the Lord is touching a number of us about you need to preach on people increasing their trust in the Lord, your faith, and your money. If you have been attending here for any time, you know the stewardship nutshell that I share with people all the time. God is the owner of everything. We are His stewards. We're managers. We're agents. We don't really own anything. 
Nothing that I have came about by my own abilities. Everything that I own is from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father above in whom is no variableness or shadow of turning. The God who is consistent never varies. He never changes. The God of love, the God of holiness and righteousness, the Creator God, the God of the Bible, everything that I have that's good is from Him. Were it not for Him, I wouldn't have the power to earn money. I wouldn't have the mentality to work a job. I would not have the physical strength to be able to earn the money. Everything that's good ultimately goes back to God Himself. And here's a hard fact, my friends, a hard fact, but I must share it with you. God gives to us what He knows we can handle. And the And many of us need to work on our Christian life, our Christian character. God knows that if He were to give us an abundance of money, we could not handle it. We have not developed those character qualities of moderation and self-control and putting the Lord first. And so if He gave us a lot of money, we wouldn't be able to handle the money. Work on your character and then ask God to bless that by affirming that you are now spiritually mature and you can handle what He would give you. Tithing, when I put my tithe in this offering here at the church, I am recognizing that God owns it all, that I own nothing. Without His blessing, I would have nothing. And that when I put that tithe there, I'm recognizing His ownership and my stewardship. I'm recognizing there is a higher authority than me in the world. I am not God. I am a work of God's hands. And he says, if you believe me, put back the tithe. It's a test. It proves the sincerity of my love for Jesus. And the old preacher said, you can give without loving you cannot love without giving. How true. Three times the Bible says in the book of Exodus, don't appear before the Lord empty-handed. Now, if you don't have anything, you come to church, don't you feel guilty about it, but if God has blessed you and you come empty-handed, meaning you don't bring an offering, then you can't have the full blessing of God upon your life that you would have had That's the teaching of the Scripture. I've taught you a definition of faith. What's the definition? Listen to it carefully. Faith is hearing the Word of God. Faith is believing the Word of God. Faith is acting on the Word of God. And then faith is leaving it up to God to carry it out. Now, look up here at me. Stop just a second, don't you? I'm about through, but I don't want you to quit on me. I've defined faith as hearing God's Word. All right, now listen. Hear God's Word. You want to hear God's Word? Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord. That's faith. 
with all thy heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways, including the finances, acknowledge him. He shall direct thy paths. Two verses later, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. And a blessing is promised. Thy barns will be filled with plenty and thy presses burst out with new wine. That's the word of the Lord. Do you hear it? Hear the word of the Lord. Malachi 3, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Hear the word of the Lord. Luke 6, 38, give and it shall be given unto you. Hear the word of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection on the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. Bring your money to the Lord and worship him on the first day of the week, Sunday. Now you've heard the word of the Lord. Do you believe it? If you believe it, you will act on it. And the Lord's work will be healthy going forward in 2020. And then leave it up to Him. Philippians 4, 19, My God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory. My God will supply all your need. Stop. That's a promise. That is a promise. Not all your wants, <laughs> but all your need. That's the promise. You've heard it. Do you believe it? Will you act on it? And then trust the Lord. Bow your head with me, please.